it's just me, everybody. It is uh, it is just I, Mark Bernard, and welcome to another episode of Black Man Beyond featuring just me, because the other guy's not here. The other guy's off doing uh, Kev stuff, um, which happens every now and again. You know, you may or may not have been here long enough to know what Kev stuff usually means. Um, I'm not sure if it's my liberty to say what Kev stuff is this time, but yeah, you know, you can put two and two together and, and, and try to figure some stuff out. Um, so yeah, it is it is just I, you're a, you're a friendly neighborhood black man. Um, uh, we are going to talk about some stuff today. We have uh, five episodes of the Ahsoka TV show to talk about. There's been a smattering of news, um, both Star Wars and not. Um, we got an ad we got to read because of course there's an ad we got to read. Um, and uh, so I'll be holding down solo today. I don't have a guest unless you count... Um, the great and powerful, mystical, wonderful Banff man who will bounce in. Uh, hey, hey, there he is. Hey, Jay-Z. Hello. I gave myself a Are box you... this time. So Good I'm not like you. looking up at your chin from a disembodied <laughs> world below. So I've got a box, uh, everybody. You deserve a box, man. It's been a long time. I feel like you've earned you've earned yourself some walls. <laughs> All right, and I'm not actually in Scum and Villainy right now, so uh, that's okay. I am also not on the Star Destroyer, um, so I feel like we are together, not what we pretend to be. Unfortunate um, for both of us. I know it would be. I mean, you could do one way easier than I could do the other, but <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk about some Star Wars stuff because you know, honestly, there's nobody I'd like to talk about Star Wars stuff um, with more than than JC. Um, what have you been up to these uh, these past couple of weeks? My, uh, I had the coolest thing happen. I have to be careful how I talk about this. But um, I was doing some work at the bar before we opened. And I was trying to get out and trying to get out. And I kept having, you know how projects kind of stack. Mm -hmm. You, you want to leave. You got a, somewhere to be. But like one thing leads to the next, leads to the next. So I got caught at the bar which happens often and uh as i was walking out somebody said hey the guy who's sitting at the table by himself wants to talk to the owner which either means one of two things it means it's a fat man beyond fan who's at the cantina and wants to talk to me or it means bad news uh in general <laughs> i said okay so i take a deep breath and i walk over and i think it's this guy who's sitting by himself in the booth but as i'm walking towards that guy who looks very much like a fat man beyond fan i get stopped by a guy who's probably oh mid 80s and he says mid like he's 85 years old like not dressed like he's from the mid 80s and he goes oh are you the owner and he has a british accent and i said uh yeah and he has this giant uh portfolio and he opens it up and it is the blueprints to the original cantina from star wars and he was like i designed the bar for star wars and these are my blueprints uh which was <laughs> so crazy cool um and he was like you know the uh let's see these things behind the bar mm -hmm. he's like do you know what those are and i was like well yes i do mr who i'm not quite sure is here not to get me in trouble 
Uh, those are a Rolls-Royce jet engine part. He goes, well, do you know why they're behind the bar? I said, I, I don't. He said, well, I, I walked into the prop room at whatever studio we were shooting at, Pinewood, and I mm. saw them lying on the floor. They had a bunch of them. And he said, I'm going to chrome them. And he took one and they had them chromed and he drew it into his um, his drawings for the cantina, which was pretty cool. And uh, and uh, he went if, if next time you guys are in, he came he went behind the bar and signed ours as like the guy who <laughs> is responsible for those things hanging there, um, which was pretty cool. Then it turns out this guy. It's exciting because he designed the most famous bar in all of time, right? I don't think there's a more famous bar than the Cantina Bar from the Mos Eisley Cantina. But then he starts talking about uh, working with Charlie Chaplin and Marlon Brando and hanging out with Sophia Loren. And this guy was telling stories. He was there on set the day that um, Brando was... Uh, reading his lines off of the baby's head in Superman. Like, how crazy. He was, like, telling me firsthand accounts of some of this stuff. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, and it it's, it's only in Los Angeles and, like, really only at Scum and Villainy Cantina that weird, random stuff like that happens uh, where you just, like, this iconic guy that nobody's heard of. And I just love the fact that, like, he decided one day to roll into your bar. Yeah. Just like, yeah. you know, I've heard tell about a girl that looks just like the girl that I used to date. Let's see what she yeah. knows. About. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Derivative. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so that was awesome. It was like the happiest I've been. I sat there and I talked to him for like two hours. Which everybody's always like, oh, my God, did you just needle him about Star Wars? I was like, this guy has worked with everybody and he has personal stories with all of like old Hollywood. No, I asked him about what was Charlie Chaplin like? <laughs> I know everything about Star Wars already. What was Charlie <laughs> Chaplin like? What was Brando like? What was it like being on set of Superman? Um, so, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. That's amazing. Like, did, did Charlie Chaplin always do the little bun dance with the spoons every time? Was he an asshole? Was there any question? Like, was he an asshole? Is everybody an asshole? <laughs> so what was funny was, uh, I guess he worked on the movie that it was like Chaplin wasn't like in it. Chaplin was directing Brando in the movie. I can't remember the name of the movie. Um, mm. I would have failed my film history class now. But, uh, but he was... He was saying that Brando was complaining to him about Chaplin because Chaplin wanted things very specific. And Brando is like, Brando is Brando. He does Brando, you know? Uh, and it was driving <laughs> both of them crazy because they couldn't work with each other. How awesome that's is that? Anyway, that's what I've been yeah. up to. I've, I've heard lots of stories of Brando and the like, I can't remember what movie it is. It's some like gangster movie where he plays the big boss and the big final like 
scene. I think it's Roy Scheider, maybe it's like a detective or 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 a tough guy, and he ends up in Brando's office, and it's like this penthouse office somewhere in like Century City, whatever. And so every scene, like Brando is just like wearing a suit, having the scene, and then Brando would do stuff like he just leaned back in his chair, just sort of like you know. I've been thinking about what to do with you. And I remember like I had a boss who was like, yeah, because the cue cards are taped to the ceiling, (laughs) taped to the wall. And there are the stills of like Robert Duvall with cue cards taped to his chest, because that's the only way Brando was getting through the scene. (laughs) As if you're wearing the script for him to read it. Yeah. It's amazing. To be that fantastic. To be that. I suppose it's not all that different than like the actors who wear like the earwigs now who have like the in-ear mm. piece that somebody's reading them lo- their lines while the scene is playing out. Yeah. And I do remember Christopher Reeve, I think he was doing like Letterman, like kind of went hard on Brando mm-hmm. um, because of that. He was like, listen, we all venerate him. We all understand him. We all like, you know, genuflect when he passes by, but I've never seen a lazier actor than Marlon Brando. <laughs> We're all doing our jobs. <laughs> He's reading cue cards off of babies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, well, that's awesome, man. I'm uh, I'm very, very happy for you that you got to you got to glance against greatness and be in the presence of Hollywood history, let alone Star Wars history. That's pretty fantastic. That was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I uh I I trying to think of what I've done since last we podcasted, um, when I was back in New Jersey. Um, clearly came back to Los Angeles, had a couple of signing events um for for a couple of books that I had come out recently. Um, the Messenger, the Legend of Muhammad Ali, the, the graphic novel that I have out from First Second uh, Publishing. Um, we had a launch party. Yeah, there it is. Woo! Pretty. How are you so pretty? With a launch event at a, at a small bookstore in Pasadena called Octavius Bookshelf, which was lovely. And then we just had a signing at Collector's Paradise in uh, in North Hollywood. Who uh, Who is selling? I saw somebody in the comments mention, uh, hey, where can I buy some signed uh, Mark stuff? Collector's Paradise in a, in in both in I think it's Winnetka in Pasadena in North Hollywood, but they have what they call a, a signature series where I signed a bunch of their stock, which they will then send out um, if that's that's how you'd like to 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 get your comic books. So we were signing that. We were signing the Devil's Cut, which is the sort of launch book anthology from Distillery. Um, I've got a five-page story in there. I think there's twelve others. Um, from people like you know Scott Snyder and Jock and and James Tynan and Ram V and Tula Lote and Becky Cloonan and Mirka Androlfo and and yeah it's a murderer's row of talent um, that I'm that I'm thrilled to be quote unquote in business with but both of those books are on the stands if you're if you're interested and curious um, Collectors Paradise will have it Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash will have it it's kind of everywhere and anywhere. Um, and so it's been a lot of that. It's been back on the strike line. It's been, you know, still out there. I think it's, you know, on day 136, 137, something like that of the strike. Um, and, you know, spirits remain high uh, for for lack of an alternative. <laughs> like that's, that's what they're going to be. I feel like um, with, like, UPS winning a big, big, uh, big win uh, for their drivers – United Auto Workers are about to go. Um, mm-hmm. I think since we last 
talked, both Marvel and Disney VFX workers have unionized. So I feel like um, the country is moving in that direction, like it or not. Uh, and, summer. and if you don't <laughs> like it, well, I think we know where you where you work and who you are. Uh, but yeah, I feel like we're moving in that direction quite a bit. Yeah, you know, and the auto workers, I mean, the, and the, the song remains the same. Like the refrain from every labor organization that's striking it's just like you guys are making record profits. Um, the hand over fist are making money. Um, share some of it, not even a lot of it, even just a little bit of it. I mean, the United Auto Workers, the, the numbers were ridiculous. It was like labor counts for 5% of the operating cost of making a car. And so like, even if you paid us 50% more than we were paying before, you were not in any way eating into your profits um, as a company. You're not passing that on to the consumer at all. In fact, prices have gone up 40% over the last five years. And all of that is because people just got greedy. Like <laughs> you're paying more for cars than you ever have before. And they're making more money than you ever have before. And labor wasn't getting a piece of it. So to give uh, to give people an idea, 5% um, of a car is labor. In the restaurant industry, you are crushing it if your labor is is 25% or less of your profits, <laughs> right? So like if you're 25 to 30, that's what a restaurant aims for typically. So like a restaurant is paying workers six at five to six X more as a percentage of their profits than United, than, than a car company. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so it is it is just a matter of um as always, who's who's the heroes of the stories that you like to watch? And I bet you it's not Lex Luthor. You know, I bet you it is not the the somewhat megalomaniacal head of a giant megala corporation. Um because it's hard to make those people seem uh noble and or heroic because they often aren't. I um I'm going to venture into sports a little bit. But I worked uh, in sports for a long time, and I worked for the Major League Baseball Players Union uh, doing video content. Um, and so I got to see, and now Major League Baseball has the best players union that there is. Um, basketball's gotten close, but mm -hmm. MLB is the gold standard for labor unions. And it was interesting listening and talking to them, especially when uh, you know, baseball players would talk about going on strike because a lot of people, um, and you'll hear a lot of it about, you know, oh, well, rich Hollywood elites begging for more millions, right? Um, and I would hear that a lot with Major League Baseball players. And the thing is, is like, if George Steinbrenner is paying Alex Rodriguez $30 million a year, it means that George Steinbrenner is probably making $60 million a year off of Alex Rodriguez's labor. So, <laughs> yes, like you're like, oh, the millionaire baseball players drying their tears with million dollar checks. Sure. But like, what about the multi hundred millionaire owners who are exploiting the labor of of 
the people who are generating two to three, four times in baseball what they're paying them. You know, like yeah. nobody's asking, no baseball players asking for more money than they are generating for the team. And and it's the same thing with auto workers and it's the same thing with, with Hollywood. You know, it's just, you're not, like you're not greedy. The people, Lex Luthor is the greedy one. Yeah, like it's, it's, I think it was Tony Gilroy on, you know, Andor's own Tony Gilroy, who was like, we are the natural resource that they are then selling back to the consumer. And they've been strip mining us for years. And so it's time to get paid our fair share. And honestly, we're not even asking for a fair share. I don't think anybody is. Because a fair share would be like, hey, half would be good. You know, Greta Gerwig probably deserves half of what Barbie grossed because without her, without that cast, without those players, without that script, without the production, without all of it, that movie doesn't make a billion dollars. It just doesn't, you know? So, like, how do you quantify what that's worth? But it's worth more than we're getting paid now. So, I understand how inconvenient it is. We all do. We all understand how much it hurts people you know who both do this job you know as writers and actors and then the people who don't you know the people who are you know in, in IATSE who are grips and lighting techs and sound people and hair and makeup and special effects vendors everybody like everybody's hurting because of the strike um but the strike is not our fault <laughs> like we're not the one who's we're not the ones who are still out here um and so, like, and we get it, you know, the audience wants the content that it wants when it wants it. And, you know, right now we're in a bit of a drought and I understand that too. Um, but it is, it is a necessary evil um, it, and it's not being portrayed by us. I am, um, I am working on a low budget movie that I have been on for like the last year. So this is a, a movie that had finished shooting last year. It's not, there's no scabbing or anything going on. Um, but there's been a lot of back and forth with the studio and we literally, uh, had to race to get a bunch of the last stuff done because the, and this is a big visual effects house just laid off everybody. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, there is nobody working at the visual effects house, even to send us a file that we may have forgotten to download. Um, but if you don't do this now, then it's then every writer is going to disappear. Every background actor is going to be 3D rendered and it's not going to work anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the business needs a floor. It needs a floor upon which you can then build for the future. And all we're now fighting for, for is a slightly better, a slightly better foundation for that floor. Um but uh, but yeah, so that's that's what I've been up to. I've been hitting strike lines when I can. I was at the Star Trek, uh, United Star Trek Day, um, I guess it was a week ago or so, which is always fun. Like, it's always fun to get to see, you know, previous colleagues, to get to see friggin' LeVar Burton, to get to, you know, glance at George Takei as he's passing by. Um, I'm going to hit, there's a Battlestar Galactica um, picket line, uh, special strike day next week. What is today? Is the 16th? Is the 21st at Universal? So I'm going to roll through there. Um, it's just always, it's fun. Like you know, it's it's a way to to add some levity and some lightness to what is ultimately um, the wheel of pain. 
from Conan the Barbarian. You were just walking in a circle, <laughs> carving grooves in the, in the cement. Um, hopefully there are there are friends that you can walk with. Hopefully there are people that you know and people that you haven't you know gotten to meet yet. But it can be, especially in the Southern California heat, um, somewhat uh, somewhat deadening, um, both physically and soulfully. What um so when you do a Battlestar Galactica or a Star Trek and they promote those things, if you're mm-hmm. Trisha Helfer or Katie Sackoff or uh Edward James Olmos, are you a, like is it a uh like do they get accosted by fans? Are they signing autographs or is that part of it because you're trying to get people out there and show them what's going on and and call attention to it? Or, or are people pretty chill and they let them get their 20,000 steps? Um, I think it's a bit of both. You know, like when, when I've done sort of Star Trek Day, when I've done, it was a big superhero day at Warner Brothers, you know, back in, what was that? It was like June. Um, you know, it's not a rally per se. Like there's no speeches, you know, although Edward James almost does love to give a speech. So you can never really um, hold him uh, too far from a mic. Um, but it's, you know, stopping for selfies, it's taking the pictures, it's less autograph signing, because I think everybody kind of realizes that that's not entirely the purpose of this. Um, but it's like, all right, I'm going to walk with with the Admiral for a couple of loops, and I'm going to, like, say hello to President Rosalind for a loop or two. I'm going to say, oh, Lucifer's over there. I'm going to hang out with Lucifer and just say hello. Um, they're incredibly open, you know, super kind, because they also realize, you know, these are fans. They, these helped you know, me get where I am. They helped support the show. They helped keep us on the air for however many seasons we were on the air. Like, I think everybody's gracious and shows the gratitude and, you know, don't be an asshole. It's always the lesson from one of those things. Like, don't be the person who's just like a little too much. And we all know what a little too much feels like. Um, but, uh, but those events, they're always kind of cool. They're always kind of chill, you know? And I think everybody just loves to talk about people who love this stuff. And it turns out that the actors who were on those shows for four and five years love it too. <laughs> you know, so they they are they are totally happy to share and spread some of that love. Um, so if you're in LA and you're a nerd and you want to come to like the Battlestar Picket Day, it's next Thursday, from nine to twelve at Universal. Just be walking around, you guys. <laughs> and I'm I'm like a tangential member of the family, so I get to sit at the kids' table. I always uh, I always feel like I was like a little opportunistic because I was like, man, I could go and hand out free blue milks to all the Battlestar Galactica people right down the street from scum and villainy. You very much could like there's, I've, I've seen more than one, like, Hey, Scientology's handing out water on the line and they don't tell you from the jump that they're Scientology, but like, (laughs) but then they're like, hold these things. Have you read Dianetics? (laughs) You have to take two bottles of water. You can't just take one. Um, but like, there are definitely people who are, you know, marketing on the line. There are definitely people who are, you know, I'm not going to say passing out scripts because nobody wants that. Everybody realized that that's kind of shitty. You know, there are not actors with headshots just like littering the, the the picket lines with them. But there are companies who will happily be like, "Hey, we're a VFX vendor and we just bought water. Um, here you go. Here you go. Here's some ice cream. Please take some of this ice cream." Um, so it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world 
for you to be like Mr. Blue Milk guy. <laughs> like a good humor, like one of those roll up good humor yeah. things. Just <laughs> With one of these guys hanging off of it, it comes up and over. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You know, if you had a, if you had a like a rolling R2 stroller kind of thing oh that you could just gosh. pop the lid and just pull blue milks out of it. Especially doing that in front of Disney. Be great. Be perfect. Um, all right. So we're going to get into some news. We're going to get into some Ahsoka. But before we do any of that, oh, we yeah. have to uh, we have to give some love. We have to give some love to the good people at our one and only sponsor today, the folks at Manscaped. Um, so yes, once again, Manscaped supports uh, Fat Man Beyond and Black Man Beyond so much they provide an exclusive offer for our listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FATMAN20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code FATMAN20 at checkout. Feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped. Now listen, we've talked about Manscaped for a good long while. They've been a loyal sponsor of, of this podcast, every incarnation of it. Um, I am a, I'm a Manscaped customer. I'm a Manscaped user. Um, I use it less for my balls and more for my, my big ball up here. Um, and I use it to trim up the beard when it gets a little out of control. Um, but hey, if you gotta if you gotta tame your, your your crotch hair, go for it. Manscaped is a way to get it done. September is here, and I want to take a second to talk about self care. When it comes to making an impression, proper grooming is essential to looking and feeling your best when you walk into a room. That's why the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, are committed to helping men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season, with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and enjoy this offer, 20% off plus free shipping with the code FATMAN20 at Manscaped. Don't neglect your beautiful self and get right this summer with Manscaped. Listen, for the sleekest version of yourself, Manscaped has you covered from head to toe, starting with their brand new beard hedger trimmer. That's the one I use. With one guard and 20 adjustable lengths, this device is the perfect device, is the perfect travel companion fit to take care of your mane wherever you are. Next in line, you can forget their signature performance package 4.0. Included in this ultimate grooming bundle is a star of the show, the Lawnmower 4.0, equipped with skin safe technology to minimize nicks and cuts in all your sensitive zones. Also included is a crop preserver groin deodorant and crop reviver groin spray. Powder and spray, deodorant spray, and have a great day. I can tell you from experience, this has taken my confidence in the bedroom to a whole new level. Asterisk. Uh, want something you don't mind showing this special someone in your life? Look no further than Manscaped's Boxers 2.0. These are without a doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. I can confidently say I'll never go back to co- cotton boxer briefs after wearing these. So once again, Manscaped supports Fat Man Beyond, Black Man Beyond, the entire Beyond family. So much so that they provide an exclusive offer for the listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code FATMAN20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code FATMAN20 at checkout. Feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped. And we thank them for sponsoring this episode. I might need, it. To, need, need to get the beard one. I've been using yeah. the, the ball one on my head. And uh, it works really well. I have Jen do it. And she discovered, she she has been going down. And she discovered if you shave up. She's like, oh my gosh, it gets so much closer to your head. Um, and I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to start doing it that way. But now I wonder if I should get the beard one and get rid of those uh, Gillette 
four blade mm-hmm. things that go bad so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how close the beard one will get to the skin. Uh, um, you know, that's that would be the only caveat. Um, but hell, if I can get it and give it a try, man. It was it was <laughs> it was a saving grace for me during the uh, the pandemic. I mean, we talked about that a while. Like, I wasn't going to the barbershop, and I was not going to grow like the Frederick Douglass afro. And so I uh, I turned to my manscape gear, and that kept me ice nice and tight. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, man, give it a go. I'm, uh, you could do wrong. You could go far worse, uh, awry, um, than giving Manscaped to go. Uh, All right, we, man. Do we want to bunch bounce over to Ahsoka? People are screaming in chat about it. Uh, let's let's hit Ahsoka. Let's hit Ahsoka real quick. Um, or maybe not real quick. Maybe we'll take a good long while and, and talk about Ahsoka. Are you um, caught up? I'm, I'm, I'm caught up. I've seen I've seen all the way through five. Um, five uh, it seemed to have the most um, worth talking about in it. I can't say that I've been overwhelmingly soup to nuts thrilled with this show. I think some of it is the pace with which it's telling its story, which is somewhat glacial. Some of it is, you know, again we talked about it at the jump that the the lack of an on-ramp for people who were not died in the wool clone wars and rebels fans um some of it is just kind of performance everybody seems to be you know at a two when hey we could use a six or a seven right about now um but episode five seems to be the one where they were like you know what even if you hate this show there's going to be something in it for you um and uh and there very much was something in it for me. And I did not expect. I mean, listen, we all know that Dave Filoni has been doing the kind of reclaiming the prequels has been the grand design of kind of the last 20 years of his life. Like, I know you hate these. I think they're great. And let me show you the ways in which I think that they're great. And I think reintroducing and replatforming and re contextualizing Anakin Skywalker and not just Anakin Skywalker, but Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker um, seems to be the, the icing on that particular cake. And, and yeah, like I get it, you know, like in all the ways that I didn't get it in the prequels, you know, some of which because George directed Hayden relatively awfully um, that character was not well written. That was, <laughs> it was not well counseled or guided, you know, and, not well performed either um but watching watching the weird kind of what if version of anakin skywalker like what if he won the fight with obi-wan kenobi what if this is what darth vader was supposed to be um is kind of intoxicating like watching that stuff was like oh shit now okay okay we've earned it now like suddenly all of this kind of makes sense um because when i mean and, and we'll talk about the context for it and yes spoilers we're going to spoil uh quite a bit of uh, of episode five we won't be spoiling before episode five because frankly i don't remember what happened <laughs> so <it's one> through four. <laughs> yeah i um i did a podcast uh for the nerdtropolis outlet they asked me to be mm-hmm. on and talk about ahsoka and I went pretty hard. I went much harder on their podcast than I did on this one uh, for episodes one through four, which um, 
you know, and you hit on it. It's uh, the joke about the original Star Wars trilogy is that George's only direction was faster, more intense. Right. That's that's the joke. It's it's almost like you can't say faster, more intense without hearing Harrison Ford mocking George Lucas. <laughs> um, and it's like this show has uh, looked like star wars but it forgot that faster more intense is the direction of star wars mm -hmm. like it was almost like let's do kurosawa but like without without like consequence without any energy without any um like my biggest issue uh, in episode four was, you know, Ahsoka is swinging her lightsaber on the ship. But right before that, their shields are knocked out. Now, if we've all seen Star Wars, if your shields get knocked out, like one more hit and we're done for. Right. How many times has C-3PO said that? And Ahsoka and Sabine are just like, well, all right. I guess we're the main characters of this show. I'm going to go out and take care of this while you fly the ship. And Sabine's <laughs> like, you're going to go outside? And Ahsoka's like, yes. And then it's like the most low energy lightsaber destroying spaceships thing I've ever seen. That was like episodes one through four for me. I was like, what is going on? And then episode five happened. And within 90 seconds of episode five, I was like, this is a different director than did the last three. I could see it in the way that the camera was directed. Um, and I think my guess of what happened, and I, you, have, you, you have directed as well, is that I think in Dave Filoni as the showrunner's head, and he directed episode one and he directed episode five, I almost feel like, they were trying to, they had directed Rosario because I, I've worked on movies with Rosario and you've been around Rosario. Rosario can do anything. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel as if she was directed to be flat. Because in episode five, they were like, you're trying to get over this hurdle. And in episode five, after you battle Anakin, you're going to get over the hurdle and you're going to be Ahsoka again. And I think going into those episodes, it's probably a really strong idea. And on the page, it probably read really well. And then you shot four episodes of a series where everybody's bored. And then when she... It's like, okay, you've turned the corner. Your character's turned the corner. Like, to me, I saw Ahsoka, the Ahsoka from Rebels, for the first time in episode five. I can't talk and read the chat at the same time, so I might be getting flamed. <laughs> but that was the first time I saw Ahsoka in this show. Um, that was the first time I saw Hera in this show. You know, I still, I rubbed up against the fact that, like, as somebody who watched Rebels, I feel like Hera is getting poked by... Carson Teva and she wouldn't have like magically started hearing lightsaber fights. I think she probably would have um, 
I think she probably would have been the type of person who puts family first and she would have been like, I trust my son. He has special abilities. We are going to trust him. And you are going to trust me because I'm the general. Rather than like, all of a sudden now everybody in the entire galaxy can access the force. I don't know. I thought that was a little weird. Um, I mean, I think everything that was not Anakin Skywalker and and uh, and Ahsoka Tano was not very good. Um, because there's no suspense to it, right? Like, I know they're going to find Ahsoka. It is a foregone conclusion. So why do we have to spend four and five scenes reconnecting with this team that's absolutely going to find this woman? Because they're not not going to. So how do we add some conflict to that? And to your point, there kind of is none. Like, if you had told me that either, like, Carson and Hera were at loggerheads and, and Carson's like, we gotta go. Like, for real, we're leaving. I'm not losing. I'm not busting my command. I'm not getting knocked down to fucking, you know, like, squeegee guy and the, and the X-Wing base because you gotta hang out and find, you know, your lost friend. Or I'm not sure I believe my son is special at all. Like, I think he's a great kid. He claims to hear voices. I have no proof of that. Maybe I don't want him to be special like Ahsoka because that leads that says he's got a destiny that I can't control anymore. But like finding some way to to put these these people at at loggerheads, you know, at at conflict, so that every time you're back on that scene, every time you're back in this rock garden, and we're like, if I just listen, we can find her. It's like, why are your scanners so shitty? A, <laughs> B. We know you're gonna find her. Ahsoka's got plot armor. The same way, to your point, she goes out with no shields and starts doing lightsaber spaceship battles in four because, of course, she's gonna be fine. You can't kill her because <laughs> it's the name of the show. Um, the 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 thing with Anakin and Ahsoka, and I thought they did really well. There's drama there. I felt like there was drama, and I don't mean melodrama. I mean drama, conflict for the first time in this show. And I, I really, as somebody who's watched all of Clone Wars, as somebody who saw Ahsoka for the first time in theaters in 2008 when Anakin kept calling her Snips and it was the, the movie in the movie theater mm-hmm. and followed her whole character arc from being something where I was like, this is the worst character in Star Wars to like, this is one of the best characters in Star Wars. Um I was very, very happy with what I saw in episode five and really feel like the show turned a corner. Um, I'm excited to see, for the first time, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in episode six, episode seven, and episode eight. Um, Because I wasn't there for the first part. I also think that there's a world in which you probably could have made this episode two. I mean, yeah. You know, I think you probably could have taken those first four episodes, condensed them to 30 minutes, done some stuff with the opening scroll, the red opening scroll there, and been into this, and then spent more time with the Ahsoka that we know and love. You would have gotten Anakin Skywalker up front like it would have energized me as like a longtime Star Wars fan much sooner into this and saved me crapping on the show across two podcasts in the last three weeks. Right. Or if you had if you had made text 
the idea that Ahsoka, and I'm not even saying that this is what her deal is, um, because again, I remain ignorant of most of Rebels and a good half of Clone Wars, but like, if her biggest fear with taking on an apprentice was that she has been some way colored or tainted by the fact that Anakin was her master, right? If that had been the weight that has been hanging over her this whole time, right? And so all of the Sabine stuff, it's a little like, like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I should do this because maybe, maybe I won't be able to see what's coming. You've got, you know, the force is strong in you, but you're reckless and you're, you're, you're everything that Anakin was. And I am nothing that what Obi-Wan was. And if Obi-Wan was the best of us and he still failed, how can I do that? Right. So that all of those first three or four episodes are kind of about that. That's why she's so fucking somber because she's re-engaging with the idea that having an apprentice being an actual fucking Jedi is the worst thing that can happen to her. And then this is where you puncture that balloon with revisiting fucking Anakin and getting to talk to him and getting to see and getting to understand that there was nothing she could have done to save him um, except for him to at some point learn to save himself. And this is the version of Anakin who never learned to save himself. And that's the lesson that she learns, that the fight is always worth fighting or whatever, because the lesson she learns in the world between worlds is um, fuzzy at best, you know, and I get that that was the point, like leave it open to interpretation, like you as an audience can come to it and, and pull from it, whatever you like. But that idea that I stood against fucking Darth Vader and I had him and I showed mercy because I believe that there was still something good in him, just like his son did, you know, like that. Yeah, you've, you've proved that A, you, you're, you're worth surviving this thing and B, You've earned the right to have a, 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 a um, Padawan because you can understand that people are worth saving and you can see when they're still good in somebody. Like all of that then would have come to a head in the scene and then you can push on to fucking space whales. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Okay, sure. I, I'll say this uh, and then lead into that. When I saw per, uh Purgles and space whales in the cartoon and i saw world between worlds in the cartoon in the cartoon the world between worlds is put very literally as if it's a physical place mm. this i so i hated world between worlds when i saw it in rebels and i hated the purgles when i saw them in rebels and this episode turned both of those around for me because this episode made it feel as if this is a not a physical manifestation as much as it is a uh, connection to the force of all things that have been and will be right through the force things you will see other places the future the past long friends uh friends long gone right it, it goes directly back to yoda so on that aspect i felt like he clarified what world between worlds was and it gelled much stronger with me than it did in the cartoon. And I felt like the Purgles, um, and I think it was just the, probably the character design. They were very cartoony and colorful in the show. And in this, they felt, I bought it, right? Like, if you're going to buy the space slug in Empire Strikes Back, I feel like you're going to buy the Purgles. You have to buy the Purgles in this, right? Um, and that worked really well for me. My thing with where I'm hoping they're going to go with 
Ahsoka and Sabine is that Ahsoka knows what Sabine's destiny is. And she knows that her ability to use the Force is nada, right? She has a 12 midichlorian count or whatever. She's just never going to do it. And to use a, another sports analogy, right? There are just some people who cannot be a professional athlete. There is a mm-hmm. God-given gift or force-given gift or midichlorian-given gift that goes along with being a professional athlete. And I think that if Star Wars is showing that anybody can be a Jedi or anybody can use the force, I think you're doing a disservice. I think the better lesson here is Ahsoka is using Jedi training, I hope, to show Sabine that she is better off being who she is, which is a quick wit Mandalorian than trying to be a Jedi Knight. Be and, and the lesson here is be who you are, not who you who other people are telling you to be. And I think there's a real good lesson in there that hasn't necessarily been been explored in other Star Wars movies that would make me as a fan much happier than like, you know, you gave us the Mandalorian with a, a lightsaber. Great. It's been in every fan film for the last 30 years. I'm happy we saw it when it counts, but like make Sabine Wren's turn that she realizes she doesn't need to be a Jedi to be the ruler of Mandalore. If that's what it's going to be when the movie happens in a few years or whatever her destiny is, it doesn't require her to hold a lightsaber. And I think that's kind of the lesson they were trying to go at at the sequels and didn't really get to. Um, mm-hmm. I think they could do it here very powerfully. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 all for there being less force users in the world. You know, like it, it's it, it's part of the the ongoing issue of like how many Skywalkers are there? You know, like why is everybody lousy with the force? Um, and I'm using lousy like you know. 1920s slang which is like everybody's got it um but i also think you know to your point either she doesn't have the force or she's like not everybody has the god-given skill to be a professional athlete but there's always that like one person on the team who's a little too small who's not quite Mm -hmm. fast enough who's not quite strong enough it's the rudy right it's the like here's the person with heart here's the person who just works harder than anybody else um now, whether that person is and could and should be a Jedi, I don't know. But like, there is a place in this world for somebody who's got like a touch of the gift and makes up for everything else with just like sheer fucking effort and dedication. Um, I don't know what the best version of that is. I just I I feel like they maybe they know what it is, maybe they don't. I feel like that's valuable. Um, and I and listen, I have no stake in fucking space whales. I will say that I'm post Avatar 2, not a fan of people talking to whales who then do things that the plot requires them to do. Um, especially when you have a scene where Ahsoka is holding the broken husk of that, you know, the 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 magic uh fucking laser beam key, and can pretty much tell you everything that happens until the key opens, right? Like like they were there, they were hit, it opened it up. And I think Sabine, she went with him, she gave him the key, he shattered it. 
why couldn't you also add, oh yeah, I see where they went. Like, sure. Like, I would not have blanched for a second if she discovers the location of that hyperspace ring and Balin and whatever from using the force the way she's already using the force. So in the novels that a lot of this is pulling from, you've heard Ahsoka say heir to the Empire 14 times already. There is a thing where Luke Skywalker can fly through hyperspace using the force and doesn't need a computer to plot the course. He can feel his way through it, right? Um, Which is, I think, what they're going to... like. That's kind of how the whales can do it, right? They're kind of like these beings of the force. Um, So yes, why not? Why not just lean into that that happens in the book that you keep referencing the title to, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, yeah, take it through there. Ultimately, like it's kind of irrelevant because they're riding in the belly of the whale Jonah into their destiny. But, um, you know, yeah. and I, like, I, and that's I, a very convenient way to separate Hera and, and, uh, and Ahsoka because clearly Hera and her kid are not going to, and like, why are you putting this kid in this much danger? Like, is there no school for this kid to go to? <laughs> I have questions about uh, also, why, Yeah, now this is five years after Return of the Jedi. I'm curious why none of them are training at Luke's Jedi Academy either, right? Because that's <laughs> when this is happening, you know? Um, the, uh, the, my, you, my hope, do you want to hear my prediction? You always you always take a show halfway through and you say, this is what I want to see going forward. Mm-hmm. And then it's never that good. And then we're always upset and Kevin yells. Here is my hope for Ahsoka. Give it to me. As somebody who has read, again, uh, all the Grand Emerald Thrawn stuff from way back in the day. I do not feel like the way that they portrayed Grand Emerald Thrawn in Rebels is very strong. In that, in the books, Thrawn is almost like a combination of like, he's like Sherlock Holmes almost, as as the bad guy, right? He's Moriarty. He can, he can see things that about you that you don't know about yourself, and that leads him to... He's the smartest guy in the room and he can predict your behavior based on your artwork and your tendencies and the thing and the nuance that you do that he doesn't that you don't even see yourself. Right. And I don't in Rebels, I felt like Thrawn was portrayed very much like. uh, Expositionally, well, I can I know what people are going to do through their artwork. And then he became a generic bad guy. My hope in this show is that we ride the whales out to this other galaxy and they find a threat that is so terrible that it's, it's you know, worse than Thanos, right? Uh, and it, for people who've read the book, something like the Yuzen Vong are out there. And Thrawn has discovered that they are coming to our galaxy. And he has been waging a war out there, a a tactical war where he's gaining information. And he is now going to come back to our galaxy. And he looks at the New Republic and says, 
This bureaucracy and squabbling will never survive against what's coming to destroy us and enslave us. And I have three years to take over our galaxy in order to protect it from what I know is coming. And in that way, you make Grand Emerald Thrawn brilliant. You make him the tactician he should be. And you make him, you give him a little bit of that Thanos is right. In that, his, his goal is correct. But he's incorrect in becoming a, enslaving a full people in order to avoid being enslaved by something else. And I think you can make him very interesting and, and sympathetic, but still a bad guy if you if you build it out that way i buy that's my hope that's my hope what happens you know and i i also again i have zero context or information about thrawn is thrawn a force user or no he is not so grand emerald thrawn like i said he is like the sherlock holmes of imperial admirals uh Mm -hmm. he leads first with uh an incredible logic So okay. he's he's superhuman in that uh, his brain is just that much better than everybody else's. I mean, then I I think that 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 then what is kind of great is if Thrawn discovers like, listen, I know what's coming. I know how to beat them. I have everything that I need if I can if I can take over the New Republic and turn it into you know wartime footing. And we can increase product, like all of the the like behind the scenes shit. Like I'm a super manager and I know how to meet this goal. What I do not have and have no access to is a force user. You know, like I need, I actually need a fucking Jedi. I need to find somebody who can stand next to me and be that person. I need the sharp end of the fucking stick. Um, and Balin is not going to be that person for me because he's compromised in this way. You know, his Padawan is not going to be that person for me because she's not strong enough. Like, you're the one. Like, you're the one who's been, like, kissed by the flame of the dark side and understands what it means, but have chosen the light side and you're willing to do what's required. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen unless you stand by my side and help me. And then Ahsoka's got to choose between doing the right thing with the wrong guy and then doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah, you uh, you came very close to at least the first part of that is in the books. Grand Emerald Thrawn uh, has pulled DNA or something from an old school, old Republic Jedi and has cloned him. And that is his force user that sits alongside him, uh, who ultimately goes insane and it doesn't quite work out the same way. But yes, in this case, if you have this existential uh, other galaxy threat that we are unprepared for, and it's like the only way we can get through this is with my mind and your special abilities, that's super interesting, right? Because you're also then uh, in the cartoon at the end of Clone Wars, Ahsoka walks away from the Jedi Order Mm -hmm. because they are pressuring her into being something that she doesn't believe in and now 30 years later 25 years later 
you are presenting that same choice to her, but now she's on the opposite, almost on the opposite side of it. And it's, it, it could be a huge, very awesome character moment of like, what do you do? You, you walked away from this before. Now you have to, and you've been flirting with coming back, but are you going to come back and join up with that guy to, to save life? Right? Like that's mm -hmm. what a Jedi's true purpose is, is to protect life. It's not to be a warrior as, as we just saw her fight Anakin on and to have that come full circle. It could be amazing. Yeah. And then to have her have to return to this galaxy and return to the new Republic and return to Hera and Sabine and whatever, as you know, the sort of right hand, the major domo of fucking Thrawn, you know, like what, what does that do to her? What does that do to her friends? Like, does that just break everybody's spirit to see that? Well, you know, fucking one of the last of us, what does that do to Luke? Because of course Luke is going to come back into this because he's still alive. And why wouldn't he, you know, like, and if you can find a way to pit fucking Luke Skywalker against Ahsoka Tano, you know, like who doesn't want that as a fucking season finale? Mm -hmm. Um, I do. <laughs> Give me that, please. Yeah, it uh, it could be incredible, and I know all of this is building up to the event movie, right? So we're not mm -hmm. going to get that resolution in Ahsoka, but hopefully we get that setup. And then in Mandalorian season four, we get a little piece of this and then whatever else they're going to drop between now and whenever that Dave Filoni movie comes out in three or four years, um, if the strike ever ends, um, <laughs> then uh, I think that there is some really cool potential between where they took Bo-Katan in Mandalorian season three where they could take Ahsoka and if you can get one more uh, and then maybe like skeleton crew, right? Like mm -hmm. skeleton Ahsoka is your Luke Skywalker. Bo-Katan is your Han Solo and skeleton crew is your Lando and your Chewbacca and your other characters. And if you build all of these shows and, and grand Admiral Thrawn and this other threat is the, is the thing you know is is thrawn your loki essentially right and right. you need to team up with loki to beat thanos um that could be amazing that would be a thing that like got star wars humming back in the movie theater i think you know i mean i i i 100 agree with you i i will say that i'm not entirely sure that dave filoni's the guy to do that only because, again, I mean, we talked about it when Ahsoka started. You want to be able to welcome people back to Star Wars again. And if you're building, and I remember there was some dude in, in, the, in the comments of my Instagram post when I was announcing that we were going to do this Black Man, who was like, you say that your problem with, with Ahsoka is that you didn't do the reading. Um, you didn't watch Force, you know, you didn't watch The Clone Wars, you didn't watch Rebels. That's how a lot of us felt with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We didn't read 30 years worth of comic books. And I'll say, you didn't have to. Like, they built that universe very specifically that you didn't need to know anything before you watched Iron Man, before you watched Thor. You know, now granted, you had to keep watching those movies. Like, once, once there was the onboarding, like, once you get past the first Avengers, like, 
you kind of have to be in the zone to understand what it is. You could watch Avengers, I think, without having seen the other movies, and you kind of understand where you're at. Right. Like, it got to, like, and you, there were certain movies you could watch without any context. You could watch Ant-Man without context. You can watch Guardians without context. You could watch Black Panther without context. But, I mean, you could watch, you could fucking watch Winter Soldier without real context. But, like, you couldn't watch avengers infinity war and then avengers endgame and know what was happening like you couldn't watch black panther one and then black panther two expecting them to be sequels like it did get a little bit incestuous that way but like if you're starting a thing if you're if you're trying to bring people to a new program then just a little bit of like let's tell you who everybody is you know let's let's open these doors a little bit more let's just Add some context. If you're already in the world, you know it, and you can do it in a way that doesn't make it like a retread, but like help a new person out. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. and it doesn't require a lot. And so, like, if that's your giant um your giant gambit, if that's the if that's the big work of this version of Star Wars in the hands of Filoni and John Favreau, okay, sure. But like and we're building to a movie that you're gonna hope lots of people go to, not just the people who watch the show. You have to give us a little bit more um, handlebars that we can steer our way through this universe. Um, Although the only part, the only part that show that has been like that so far has been Ahsoka. Meaning, you could watch Mando season one as an entry point, and none of it, none of it, and they do introduce Ahsoka in Mando and Book of Boba Fett. So it's it's this, it's the outside. Meaning, like, if Hera doesn't do anything else for the rest of the show and that, you'll be caught up by that movie. The The world will be caught up by that endgame, right? That mm-hmm. endgame movie. So it's only Ahsoka, really, that people are struggling with. And in, and they did do an okay job in, in Mandalorian Season 2 of introducing who Bo-Katan is and, and building that up right like that wasn't people weren't really lost in that space even though she had been a a huge part of a couple of seasons of clone wars yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't isolating in the Mm. way that ahsoka is i mean the mandalorian issue became who's this show about you know like we showed up for din jaren we showed up for Mando and we showed up for this baby Yoda. And then suddenly we're now like in season two, season three, he could not be in these episodes and it wouldn't make a difference. Um, that's three, a, that's its own separate issue. Three felt like the Bo-Katan. Uh, if the Mandalorian is actually not Din Djarin, if it's actually a, set of tales about Mandalorians and he's handing off to Bo-Katan. That's what season three felt like to me. And even the ending where you circle wipe into him on a rocking chair in retirement (laughs) felt very much like the Mandalorian is now her. Right. You know, which, Hey, it's all a choice, you know, and it's, it is, I'm not going to say that it happens to every long-running show that it's someone you've got to hand off to the next generation. Um, it happens, but you know, not all the time. It's just a really odd choice here. But I do think that where, when when Marvel worked, 
it was because they were telling that story from Iron Man to Endgame on the movie screen. You know, there were no TV shows at that point that were required viewing. And so the audience scale was the same, right? Like, we're all going to these things. We're all going to the ones that matter. So by the time you get to the climax, we're all here. Whereas if I've got to watch like five different TV shows before you then launch a movie, is that audience big enough to all go to that movie and make it a hit? Or do you then have to try and somehow widen that audience for the feature in a way that like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, what's True. going on? Or do they not care? And they're like, hey, Serenity and Firefly. Right. Except Serenity was not a hit. <laughs> Firefly was not a hit. Um, um, I'll, I'll push back. I think uh, having watched the episodes of Ahsoka that Dave Filoni directed and the episodes of Mandalorian that Dave Filoni directed, I think that uh, I'm not going to rave about the way he works with the actors, but nobody raves about the way George works with the actors. But I will say his staging and blocking and camera direction is the best I have probably seen in Star Wars. The way that the camera moves in the episodes he is directing, I think is, is, uh, revealing in a way that we have not seen before in star wars i i will i will i mean not that we need to like split hairs about this stuff because it ultimately doesn't matter i will say there were there were sequences and shots in episode five that like i was slack jawed at like holy shit that's gorgeous and then there's the stuff in episode one where we're going to spend literally six minutes having ahsoka put shit on top of pillars and twist things like we're in a map room sequence that kind of goes nowhere and kind of does nothing um i just feel and again that was a pace issue that was like you could have cut half of this out and we would have gotten it like all of these scenes feel like they could have been edited better all of these scenes feel like they had too much air in it like we're 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 padding it to get to 42 minutes when it could have been 30 and told us the same amount of story I, i'm gonna um you know, people always uh, yell at you about Picard. I'm going to mm. throw myself in that fire. I had an interview scheduled to be an assistant editor on Ahsoka. Uh, and I turned it down. Really? Uh, it was during the pandemic. I was very busy with Hollywood Reporter and I didn't want I had a new kid. And, uh, you know, she was maybe a year old at the time. Uh not even and i didn't want to commute to manhattan beach for a massive pay cut and in you know working 50 hours a week plus a two-hour commute both ways each day and i said mm -hmm. no i said that to somebody they're like you would have been better had you been there <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i gotta yeah, think assistant editors have that power right but you know like that it's it's one of those like you cannot take back a choice you already made like and and doing so is folly you know like we, we make the choices we make we have to live with them and you made the choices that you made for incredibly good reasons namely i got this kid that i gotta feed <laughs> and i gotta start building a college fund 
and I can't take the pay cut to go do this thing. Like that is eminently defendable if anybody ever decides they want to give you shit for it. And I have no idea how much pull an assistant editor has in that, but probably not enough to be like, hey, let's take some of the fat out of this. Let's put some of the air out of these I'll things. tell you what, I have um, been the assistant editor on every Kevin Smith movie since uh, after Red State. And, um, and I have zero pull when it comes to taking stuff out of Kevin Smith movies, zero. <laughs> and I promise you, Kevin listens to my opinion a lot more than anybody at Lucasfilm would listen to my opinion. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but listen, all of this is to say, um, I enjoyed episode five of Ahsoka more than I've enjoyed any other episode of this show. Um, I still think that it has kind of big endemic problems. Um, you know, some of it is maybe it's an overwhelming reverence for these characters. Maybe it's a a unwillingness to shed some plot armor from people. Um, maybe it's the, like, I know where it's going. I'm unwilling to deviate. And these episodes need to be 42 minutes or not. I don't know what those issues are. But, like, every now and again, it engages in a way that does sort of remind me why I like Star Wars. But all too often, it is sitting right next to a scene where I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> like, um, it, can it's, anybody, it's enough to get me to keep watching. Can anybody in the chat confirm? I saw a meme that the young lady who played Ahsoka was the same as the young lady who played Gamora. Is that true? Is that actually Oh, and the flashbacks to when, the, like... Yeah. Um, because she was awesome also. Yeah, no, she's very good. She's very good. And, like, fucking props for Hayden for, like, I don't know how old he is. My guess is he's in his mid-40s. He's, I think, a little bit older than me. 44. Yeah. You know, like, he can still fucking do it, man. Like, some of that choreography, some of that, like, all that action stuff and the leaping and the jumping and the twirling and all that stuff. Like, I mean, I can't do that stuff anymore. Granted. I almost never could <laughs> and nobody's paying me to get into that shape, but still. I just love that. Um, you know, uh, there's something about a comeback story, right? And I just love that he has the opportunity now to do the thing that we all kind of wanted him to do before. Um, and I'm not a prequel hater at all. So I don't say that like shitting on the prequels. Um, but there's some stuff in Clone Wars where you got to see Matt Lanter be the Anakin that you always wanted, especially towards mm -hmm. the end. And getting to see Hayden do some of that stuff and be that guy. And, um, you know, the lightsaber fight was fine. But, like, the more interesting stuff to me was when he was was poking at Ahsoka, you know, uh, during those flashback scenes um, or the Force Vision scenes or whatever they were. Um, it was, it was nice to see him get to, to do the thing. And it was nice to see as a human being, it was nice to see. And as a fan, it was nice to see Anakin's face, live action face, even if it was strangely de-aged and had a weird wig on, um, do that thing as well. Yeah. I mean, it does. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but 
and again, because I, I do not come to the world of teen worlds knowing what it is. Like I, I came to it as a person who is, is somewhat familiar with this version of the trope of storytelling of the person on the brink of life and death, who is, you know, this is, this is limbo, right? This is the, I have not moved on. I have not moved back. So I'm in this particularly mentally somewhat weird world. You know, we've seen it a thousand times in movies, right? Like the the final threshold battle of am I am I going to fight my way back to the world or am I going to succumb to this whatever? So I didn't know that it's like a force place where then if you're so deep in the force that you can, you know, see the past and the future and it's all one and the same. But the idea of like Star Wars, what if, right? Like what if he won that fight with in, in Mustafar. What if Darth Vader was not an asthmatic, you know, amputee? What if he was, what if he had everything? What if, what if he finished his training? You know, because I, I always thought that that was a nice mirror between Vader and, and Luke was that they both had like abbreviated training, mm-hmm. you know, that they both were at the very least that, that, you know, and, and I encountered this a bit in writing the, the Darth Vader um, story that I wrote for Marvel and getting feedback from Lucasfilm licensing, saying things like, Vader Vader has power, but not control. Vader mm. can do big things, but not small things. Because I have the scene where I want him to catch a, a laser blast in midair, a bit like Kylo Ren, but then like twist it and then just send it flying back to where it came from. Like Vader can't do that. Like Vader can block it. He can ricochet it like we see in Empire. But he, he can't snatch it from midair and like he just doesn't have precision. He can pull a fucking starship out of the sky, but he can't do small things. Um because his training, like nobody taught him that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see a Darth Vader who got to finish that cycle, to see a Darth Vader who, you know, maybe was able to find a, a Sith Lord to finish that training, maybe fucking Palpatine before getting all weird and crispy electro fried was able to do some of that stuff for him. But even just a guy who had full control of his body again, like, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How much harder is it to defeat the Empire with a Vader who can breathe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, show me that story. You know, I remember feeling that way at the end of of um, the Obi-Wan show, where it's like, this entire finale is based upon us giving a shit about Luke Skywalker when we know he's not going to die because canon demands that he lives. So having, you know, having a, an Inquisitor show up on the planet, you know, chasing him through this valley. It's like, he's, it's silly. fine. End it, it's end silly. It, end it before. Yeah, just we don't end need it, it because there's no, there's no jeopardy. There's nothing like everybody on this screen is going to live except for this Inquisitor. Um, like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru survive it. Luke survives it. So why are we here? Um, but there is a version of that sequence where like, Luke doesn't survive. We're like, they fucking kill Luke Skywalker. And so now the galaxy's final hope is Leia, that then Obi-Wan trains himself, that Obi- it's Obi-Wan and Leia and not Obi-Wan and Luke. And so what happens when she's the one who like is no longer a senator's daughter, but is a fucking like street rat <laughs> living, if not on Tatooine, but anywhere else. Um, and then it's like, oh shit, I've never seen this before. Give me some Star Wars where I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Because I almost always know what's going to happen. Um, and so, like, I just got this itch 
for like what if star wars um which we'll never get but did you watch visions i did i did which a little like that it's just not main it's not the characters you know right but you did get there's some kind of cool what if stuff in there yeah like it's 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 mostly on the periphery but it is it's still like oh this is cool oh this is neat i never thought they'd do this with star wars i I Mm -hmm. dig this um but um but yeah and so any any way especially in ahsoka that they can find ways to fucking play with our perception of what's going to happen that bounce against what we know to be canon um that ab- disabuses people of their plot armor and makes us really have some jeopardy and some fear and like oh shit did they just kill Hera? oh i thought they were gonna i thought this was gonna be a whole thing but no huh okay interesting you know i want more interesting i want more like oh yeah but um i think i think episode five bought me watching the rest of this season which was hanging in the balance at the end mm-hmm. of episode four yeah yeah i i i mean i of course i'm like bound by the rules of me that i have to watch it <laughs> but um i am walking down the rest of this path with uh in eagerness whereas i went into episode five with a lot of okay how long is this episode gonna be you know right or like a do I want to watch this at 1.30 in the morning after a long day of work because it, I don't care? Or am I going to save it until the morning because I really want to pay attention? And now I'm going to save it to the morning, whereas before I was like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. No, I, I believe it. Um, so that's our Ahsoka Tano talk, everybody. Um, I hope That's pretty good. We, we went didn't... long on Ahsoka. We did like an hour did, of Ahsoka. I mean, it helps when we both saw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope we didn't uh, step on too many toes. I hope we didn't crush too many feelings. Um, you know, I, I am still cautiously optimistic, but still, they they still gotta. There, there's a way to there's there's a way to to save this particular ship, um, from being what it was and turning into to what especially JC believes that it can be. Um, so, Hey, fingers crossed. Maybe they'll listen to this podcast. I think that's the thing is like, I want everything to be awesome. I want it to be great. Um, and let me, let me pose this to you because I get asked this a lot, especially in today's kind of culture with any fandom, Marvel or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of people who are just like, I came from a time when there wasn't very much Star Wars. And now that there is so much Star Wars, um, none of it's bad, right? And if you think it's bad, well, you should have lived through what I lived through. It's like, well, well, I did. I got into (laughs) Star Wars when there was no Star Wars. Um, And I always likened it to like gummy bears where like, you know, this package of gummy bears, you get below the cash register at CVS is is wonderful and it's the greatest tasting thing you've ever had but the three pound gum- bag of gummy bears if you eat them all you're going to be sick for two days mm-hmm. 
so I've kind of distilled it down to, and this isn't just for Star Wars. This is all fandoms, Marvel, everything. Is I feel like there's two types of people now. I feel like there are, and I'm apologize to our audience, but I'm going to use another sports analogy, which is there are fans and there are cheerleaders. And a fan is not going to be okay with the New York Yankees tanking a season because George Steinbrenner isn't going to put the best players on the field. I know George Steinbrenner's dead, but he was a character (laughs) in Seinfeld. So whatever, like, I am not okay as a fan and most sports fans are not okay with being with a knowing that the people in charge of the thing they're rooting for are half-assing it, right? Mm -hmm. Put the best product on the field that you can. But there's a weird thing in, in pop culture fandom now where fans are criticized for not liking a thing that they want to love by cheerleaders of that thing who are like the only thing it needs is that logo on it. Right? Like if it, if it, if it has that logo on it, that's all it needs for me. Right. And that's like a cheerleader, right? If you're a cheerleader for the Dallas Cowboys and the Cowboys go, Owen 16, you cheer the same way for that team that you do if they're 16 and 0 and win the Super Bowl. And that's, yeah. I think, this thing that's happened in fandom is like, you want the thing so bad, you've become a cheerleader for whatever it is, and you you don't... You're, like, a fan is allowed to, to expect the best and is allowed to criticize the thing when it's not as good as they hope. Yeah, there's there's a this is also going to come from a reference slightly to the left of all of this, but it's not sports. There is a fantastic James Baldwin quote, which is, I love America more than any other country on the face of the planet. And because I do, I reserve the right to criticize her unrelenting. You know, Mm -hmm. it is that love of being a fan that that earns you the right of criticism. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, I was here from the beginning. I came to whatever it is. I'm a fan of this thing. Be better, mm-hmm. you know, and I can and I I reserve the right to be critical of it when it's not. Um, I think that that Star Wars specifically, but sort of pop culture generally is a nostalgia based enterprise. And it does require a certain amount of absence to make the heart grow fonder. And it's very hard to be nostalgic for a thing you get all the time. So like popping the brakes is not a bad idea. You know, I think that Marvel has learned that um, given the glut of Marvel content we had that all of which was fine, but none of which was great. You know, I think Star Wars has hit that where they were like, we're not doing any more movies till we figure it out. Even if the movies could have been good, bad or indifferent, we're going to, we're pumping the brakes we got to slow down these shows. We got to, we got to, we got to regather. <laughs> we got to reconnoiter and figure out ways um, for us to maximize the footprint. Um, and so all I want is for it to be good, but I will, I will shout from the rooftops when it's like, Oh, that wasn't, we could have, that should have been. Mm-hmm. Why is this not better? 
Yeah. Um, and it's not like we're rooting for things to fail. And now I guess here's the other thing. There is enough Star Wars out there that there's no reason that Star Wars needs to be identity politics, right? Meaning like if you love Ahsoka and I think it's mid or you love Last Jedi and I don't talk about it anymore because of the internet. Um, I think that there's enough out there that it's okay. It's not just six hours of Star Wars anymore or six hours of Marvel Comics where like you have to tie your identity to all of it. Like you and I both raved about Andor. I think that would win every Emmy Award if it didn't have a Star Wars logo on it because I think it's the best sci-fi that we've seen in ages. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I root for all of it. I root so hard for all of it to be great, episode by episode. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> and it all can't be, and that's also fine. Um, but uh, but it all should want to be. It, it should all should try to be. And it's when it isn't and when it doesn't that I start to get, I'm not going to say offended or upset. I just get a little sad. Just like, huh, that could have been great. Yeah. It all could have been great. Yeah. Um, well, we're gonna sh we're gonna segue to some news, but we're gonna leave with some Star Wars news. So don't go anywhere just yet, JC. Um, it seems as if you know we were all very excited that uh, that the Lando TV show had not um, vanished, was not atomized, it was not uh, was not disintegrated. Um, that uh, that Donald Glover and his brother Stephen were going to take over the, the the writing and the shooting and the directing. Probably it was going to be like Atlanta 2.0, but for Star Wars with the Lando show. But now apparently it's not going to be a show. Now apparently it's going to be a movie, Ooh. according to uh, to Stephen Glover, who was uh, was interviewed on a podcast. He said uh, it's not even a show. The idea right now is to do a movie. Um, right now because of the strike, it's like a game of telephone. But that seems to be their plan is and maybe maybe this is part of the let's not put things on Disney Plus that we cannot charge more money for and let's go make a movie that people have to pay to see. <laughs> Do you think there is a little bit of um, Black Panther cultural um, significance to that? Like the one black dude in the Holy Trilogy is getting his event versus dropping it on Disney plus at a half hour each week. Like they're going to try to capture a little of that black Panther magic. I mean, they very well could, you know, like it, it, it absolutely doesn't, um, it doesn't seem like an odd choice to me, you know, in that for all of those reasons, right? Like a, it's Donald Glover who is beloved by, by a, by a world at large. And I remember somebody telling me, I remember I was having this conversation, might've been at a con somewhere. And, uh, and this person was like, I'm pretty sure that Donald Glover is maybe the single most talented person of our generation. Like, because there's nothing that he can't do, right? Like he's an actor, he's a director, he's uh, a writer, he's a musician, he can rap, he can sing, like, I, he might be able to paint for all we know, but like there, there hasn't been a single threat person like that in a very long time. Um, and so I would not put it behind Disney and Lucasfilm to just get behind that dude and be like, let's, let's do the best version of this we possibly can. And let's try to make it a cultural event. Let's try to make it a pop cultural moment. 
Um, which, hell, fuck it. Yeah, I'm all for. Um, Do you know what's... So I just did some quick math. Do you know what the difference in age between Billy D when he shot Empire Strikes Back and Donald Glover is right now? What? Because we're doing a young Lando series, right? Mm-hmm. Billy D when he shot... In 1980, he was 43 years old. So he would have <laughs> shot the Lando parts when he was 41, 42, right? Probably 41-ish. Donald Glover is 39 years old today. So by the time <laughs> that show starts shooting, he will be around, or that movie, the same age as old Lando was on Cloud City. That's amazing. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> so, there yeah. we go. No, I mean, it's I'm, I'm here for a Lando movie, just as I was here for a Lando TV show. I'm very much here for the Donald Glover version of it all. Which would you prefer? Uh, um, I, I, I tend to prefer TV versus movies only because you get more story, you know, you get more chances to, to kind of twist and turn and subvert expectations with a show, but like also six hours of Lando might be too much Lando, right? Like it could also just be Ocean's Eleven and that might be everything you need from a Lando yeah. movie. Yeah. I will say, yeah. I think I tend to like movies because i think there is magic in uh, a story and a ride that has a beginning middle and end contained within a hundred and a hundred to 125 minutes there's a magic in the in the temporal way that all has to work like you can't like for a movie to be great there's less opportunity to fix it than a tv show and right. I think that's cool. However, I would love to see an episodic. Let me tell you about the time Lando <laughs> show. And it's just every episode starts with, let me tell you about the time. Uh, I think that would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, I just, after having finished um, Atlanta, not too long ago, I came to it very late. Um you know, they may or may not have tried to take my blurred card um, for not watching Atlanta when the rest of the world was. Um, but that's fine. We, we do things in our own good time. But like, I'm I'm of the belief that that I'm not gonna say you can do no wrong because there's episodes of that show I didn't love. But in general, like, yeah, no, like wicked talented that dude is. So like, whatever version he thinks is best, I will take. But Lando was not a character I need more character of. Mm-hmm. I just need to have a good time with Lando. And yeah. I feel like it's either the, like, we're doing six episodes and six adventures about the time Lando did this cool shit, or the, here's how I stole Cloud City. And this is just the two-hour version of mm-hmm. my spectacular heist from which I stole Cloud City under the under from out from under the dude who had it before I did. Yeah, Ben Bamboo says, I wanted a Billy D. Williams narrated flashback show for Lando. That's, I mean, that's my, that is my alt. Like, Billy D.'s 86. Get him. Just get him. Yeah. You know, and also let us never forget that Billy D. Williams' given name is William December Williams, you guys. (laughs) Maybe the best name ever give the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs>
William Williams. Yes, sir. I'm right here. <laughs> um, a couple of the quick news hits. Um, have you been watching um, One Piece? Have I you haven't. Any at all? I have heard amazing things about it, though. Um, I never watched a stitch of the anime, of which there are apparently about a thousand episodes of. Um, so I, I much like Clone Wars and Rebels, I came to it somewhat cold. Um, but I'm kind of in love with it, like the live action version of it. Like it's, it is incredibly good natured. It's got a ton of humor and empathy. It's got a main character who like his superpower is not just that he's kind of made of rubber, is that he believes in himself to an almost sickly degree, which is also somewhat magnetic, you know, somewhat magnetic. And so it's just fun. Like it's kind of daffy and silly. Um, they did spare no expense with making it, but because looking at that show, it's like what, and apparently they, they shot it in South Africa and used a bunch of the pirate ships that were left over from black sails that were still fucking there wow. and just like repurposed them and refashioned them into, into, you know, these kind of fantastic things but like and it's and it's an interesting test case you know using that watching that and then watching ahsoka at the same time both pieces of of media both tv shows are based on something with hundreds if not thousands of episodes of story behind it already but the on-ramp to one piece is much simpler and much more effective and emotional and clear than the on-ramp to ahsoka was but also looking at it in terms of like live action adaptations of anime and why this seems to be succeeding where Cowboy Bebop seems to have failed. Um, in that it, it, given it had so much to adapt from, it just takes what it wants, refashions what it needs to, remembers why you're showing up and is not out to make sort of frame by frame replications of the source material, but it's just kind of getting the spirit of why you loved it. And then not to say making a new thing, but just adapting it. Where I always feel as if when you don't do that, you do somewhat at your own peril. Like, you know, Cowboy Bebop felt a little inert because it always felt like it was just, we're doing the thing that you saw in the cartoon and you'll love it because it was mm -hmm. in the cartoon. As opposed to, we're making a new thing inspired by the cartoon. And we'll take what we want and we'll leave the rest. Um, and there's just an energy to it that is not, um, that, is, that didn't, that didn't make its way into Cowboy Bebop. The, uh, the big hole in my nerd fandom is anime. That's my, like, uh, you know, exhaust port on my nerd death stars. <laughs> I just have zero basis on any of it. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll jump in with this. Yeah. I mean, it goes down real easy. The cast is so fucking just engaging. Sorry, yeah, they're not cartoons, Mark. It says cat food. No, you're right. Um, it's anime. Um, I similarly have a have a kind of a giant blind spot for most modern anime. Like, I, I was a bit of an anime movie kid because, like, you know, when I came of age was that first, like, 80s wave of imports of like Fist of the North Star and Akira and Ghost in the Shell and and that sort of stuff, like Ninja Scroll, like I kind of inhaled because there was so little of it. But I, I am not up to date at all, like with the the flood tide of anime that seems to come 
via Netflix or Hulu or or Crunchyroll or whatever. Like there's so much of it. There's too much of it, and I just can't get down with it. Um, but uh, but this is cool, and it got picked up for a second season because apparently it seems to be doing so well on Netflix that uh, that they were like sort of two weeks out. Like you know we're gonna do more of this, um, and we are not in any way hungry for uh, for source material. So so yeah, if you loved if you love the adventures of the straw hat pirates then uh, then you're going to get another season of them um there is no set date on when because clearly there's there's no writing and a second season until we're done with the strike um but netflix seems to be intent on doing another season so huzzah everybody wins um and finally i guess it's a weird bit of comic book news that came across the, the 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 transom the other day, and I'm not entirely sure how to parse it because I am no expert in sort of copyright trademark law. But Bill Willingham, um, the creator, the writer creator of Fables for for DC Comics and Vertigo, um, has declared that it is now uh, public domain, and that because of a sort of long-standing feud between him and DC Comics over a sequel and a whatever, and so he had gotten so frustrated and tried to sue to get the rights back and that was never going to happen and so he just said you know what it belongs to everybody now i don't think it does <laughs> i mean i think that dc has the trademark on some of that stuff which actually supersedes copyright and so you cannot use those fixed forms of those characters you cannot use the title fables you cannot use most of the things that makes that uh, that comic book series unique but fables was based on you know Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf and Pinocchio and, you know, all of these characters taken from sort of Grimm's fairy tales and popular culture, all of which are already in the public domain. So like Once Upon a Time on ABC was basically fables. Um, but because all of those characters belong to the world, they could do that without an issue. So like if you wanted to make a story about the Big Bad Wolf, you could do that. Even if you wanted to put them in modern times, you could do that. You just couldn't do any of the stuff that was in Fables and call it Fables. Um, so, so yeah, it's a weird sort of thing, which seems to be born of some animus between a creator and DC Comics, which, if you know the the, the saga of Alan Moore, is mm. not a new thing. Um, Alan Moore, who also most recently decided that all of the, the residuals and proceeds that he would get from the sale of... Um, V for Vendetta and Watchmen and, you know, uh, and, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, everything that he did for DC Comics, all of that money is, is to go directly to Black Lives Matter. Um, because he's like, wow. I don't want your money. I don't give a fuck. I've hated everything you've done from it. <laughs> I'm sort of washing my hands from it, but making sure that the proceeds of it go to a place that, uh, that he feels can do some good. And I wholeheartedly agree with both that decision and his choice of where it goes. But DC and uh, and comic creator relations does not seem to be um, in the best place. What's interesting is um, the film version, the film music version of Fables is Michael Bay. Have you ever heard this? The Michael Bay trip? Yeah. So hmm. when Michael Bay, uh, not always, but a lot of times when Michael Bay will want to put a song in his movie and it's too expensive. So um, he will hire a 
he will pick a song from so like kiss right kiss has a ton of huge hits that they didn't write like god gave rock and roll to you right it's mm-hmm. not a kiss song but if michael bay wanted to use that song in a movie he would hire a kiss cover band and pick a kiss song that kiss didn't write so that he <laughs> is paying royalties on the original band and not the he doesn't have to pay gene simmons anything so that's wow. the trick in movies when you're when you hear a song like in um the one that i always think about because i i know the guy who sang it is um in the movie rock star with mark Wahlberg and uh and jennifer aniston which is essentially the judas priest story they use the song california girls by van halen except they pay the music rights for the beach boys which is much cheaper than van halen and then got a van halen the best van halen cover band which was called uh, atomic punks to re-record the song as van halen and so he's paying (laughs) pennies on the dollar for the music he's using in those situations so it's kind of like this guy being like hey if you want to tell a story with the big bad wolf and pinocchio go for it it's like hmm I guess yeah. I could have done that before I got your permission. There's a there's also a great trick that um, Edgar Wright did in Baby Driver, which is there are rather than like rather than use like the Dr. Dre song like the next episode or whatever um, in the in the in his movie he would then use the song that that sampled and then oh. use the original. Like he uses the Dave McCallum The Edge, which has like that same like like that part of it was pulled from this original song. He just uses the original song. So it both gets you immediately in the headspace of the more famous version of it for mm-hmm. like a fraction of the money. <laughs> oh, that's but so like smart. It, yeah, like it just conjures that that song. He, he does that like three or four different times. Of like, here's the thing that you think it is, but it isn't that. But I got you there for far less money, um, which I thought was just brilliant. Like, all I need to do is get you in the headspace, and you're here. Um, but yes, that's all of which is not quite as insidious as the Gene Roddenberry. I'm writing lyrics to the Star Trek theme song, um, <laughs> so that I now get half of the publishing from Alexander Courage, um, uh... which is like of of dick moves. That is a Hall of Fame, like silver medal dick move. <laughs> like, how much do you think, you know, kept on going into Gene's pocket because he wrote lyrics to a song that you've never heard the lyrics to, um, but always got paid for every time it appeared on the air? Yeah. Yeah. Whoo. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it it, it remains a, uh, a slow news week slash slow news month slash slow news season. Um, and so until, until the strikes are over and, you know, like every week there is a reason to have some hope. Like it seems as if the WGA and the the studios are going to sit down sometime in the near future and have another series of conversations. Hopefully they will lead somewhere. Um, because the strike will end. It has to end. Um, you know, they, all of these billion dollar companies the only thing that they sell are television shows and movies 
And so that is the only product that they make. <laughs> so they will have to make that product. And so otherwise, Universal goes out of business and Disney goes out of business. And Warner Brothers goes out of business and Paramount goes out of business because all that they have is either the library, which they cannot, you know, make as much money on as new stuff. Um, so they need the new stuff. So it'll 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 be resolved sooner rather than later is my hope, but it will definitely happen. Um, but until then, we are somewhat trapped in a somewhat uh, news drought. But hey, we'll muddle through as we always do. Um, but I guess that's it for news, man. Um, yeah. Do we feel like we should go to to do some Q and A? Does anybody have some questions? And then we, we the can do crowd? some quick quick uh quick qa i've got i pulled i've got three from the mm -hmm. uh from the stream uh ai pacino wanted to know uh if you had to open a bar based on a movie or a piece of pop culture what would it be based on i have my answer fancy that <laughs> um i always thought that like let's say i had a couple billion dollars lying around and i'm very surprised that this never happened but like and maybe Atlantic City was a place for it. Maybe Vegas, there's still room for it. But why there was never a James Bond licensed casino? Oh. Like why there was just literally never a casino royale, right? That like, you know, and not that you'd want it to be quite as immersive as like the, the Star Wars hotel, which you are finally going to, right? I am. I leave a week from tomorrow. Oh, I cannot wait. That is a reason to come back and do a podcast. So yeah, we we could do one. We could do one. I get back on the 29th. We could do one the last day of the month. Excellent. Um, that'd be amazing. But like, and so not that you'd want your James Bond casino to be quite that immersive, but like in the way that Playboy had casinos and stuff, like just the vibe and the feel and the the ethos of like mm -hmm. high luxury and good taste and excellent food and 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 expertly made drinks and like gambling and entertainment, like all that felt very James Bondy. Um, and so the fact that there never was one is somewhat odd to me. Um, not that I liked this movie very much, but there's probably definitely a Dick Tracy bar to be made. Um, like very colorful, very sort of mobster, very like, you know, jazz age turn of like the, the roaring twenties, but also with fucking primary colors and all of that shit. Um I have I have two. You have two. Okay. I have two shit. other bars that I'll I will never die. I have I have ones that I want to do that I'm not gonna say out loud, but I have <laughs> two that I think would be amazing. On your Dick Tracy James Bond. Mm -hmm. The no-brainer is the Ink and Paint Club from Roger mm -hmm. Rabbit. Where you get, it's just like real old school and you have some holograms playing pianos of like Donald and Daffy Duck and you do that. No-brainer. Coolest place to hang out. Ice cubes that are dyed black so they look like actual rocks. Like the whole thing. <laughs> Somebody take that and run with it. Somebody who's going to message me about how to open a scum and villainy, do that instead. It doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> the other one that I think would be amazing is with how accessible projection and uh, like uh, LCD screens are now, a holodeck bar, a straight mm. up holodeck bar. Um, and 
what we did at Scum and Villainy is we redid our front um, front room is a very uh, 24th century inspired spaceship. Um, and we have we haven't put it up yet, but we're going to put a sign over the front door to when you walk into like this part of the bar that just mm -hmm. says holodeck three active. Nice. So for everybody yeah. who comes in claiming to tell me what what my bar is or is not is actually just a holodeck simulation. <laughs> it's like That's my little of... troll. Uh, but I think you could do this the floor the walls and the ceiling and even the bar top and front as screens and so it could change every you know you could be in a forest and then you could be in a spaceship then you could be in a on a desert planet and you could do all sorts of really cool stuff with that that's kind of awesome yeah i remember being in new york um, I guess this would have been like the, the, the mid to late nineties, which seems to have been the heyday for like vaguely pop culture inspired bars. Um, so I remember there was a slaughtered lamb, which is right out of American werewolf in London. I remember yeah. the Jekyll and Hyde sort of restaurant bar, which was very like explorers club. Like it was mm -hmm. just like, there's a canoe on the ceiling and here's like this shrunken head and this skeleton and this Mars like, 2112. Right? Yeah. You know, like, what if you went to Mars and also the future, but never went to either? And it, the food was really shitty. It was a bit of that. Um, so I remember, like, the Slaughtered Lamb was the most successful of them because it was just a pub that also had, like, a couple of werewolf heads on the wall. But it was, like, just enough to kind of get you into that vibe. Um, but and I always kind of, I don't even know who the fuck would go to this, but I always love the Tech Noir bar out of Terminator, which is oh basically just, like... You know, it's a fucking 80s bar that just plays sort of 80s music. But. So, Jen, um, at the space that is Scum and Villainy now, she had designed the previous incarnation of that bar, which was um, kind of a rock and roll bar. It was called Loaded. And half of the bar, they, they expanded it, and they were going to do a barcade. And they, they were like, what uh which i can't say barcade because it's trademarked going back to that mm. so they were going to do a uh arcade bar and um and they the people who owned it asked jen to pitch an idea and she was going to call it uh neon noir and it was nice. going to be that club full of arcade machines <laughs> that's pretty sweet didn't happen that's pretty sweet yeah i mean i feel like there's there's a there's a good fucking litany of pop culture bars that would actually be pretty great. I mean, hell, there's a whole mess of them in the chat. Um, you know, the Roadhouse Bar, um, the Continental, you know, mm -hmm. Hotel Bar, the Titty Twister from From Dust Till Dawn, Prancing Pony um, from Lord of the Rings. Um, all of that stuff would be cool. I mean, hell, Marion's Bar from Raiders, like then in Tibet, would be yeah. pretty sweet. Um, uh, you couldn't do that in LA though, or in California. You can't have wood burning a new wood burning fireplace here. So it would really, yeah. You can't if you're you cannot build a house with a wood burning fireplace anymore. You have to have a house that has one in order to use it. Ooh, yeah, you'd so have to you have a gas fireplace, here. right? 
Yeah, and I guess you could set the curtains on fire. Like if somebody ordered the right drink, you know the um, <laughs> you know the the tote drink or something like that. The curtains could mm-hmm. catch on fire. Nice. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Uh, good question. That. Um, next question: Reed Erickson. Uh, what nerd movie quote do you live by? I have mine. I've cheated though because I've had these questions up on my monitor for the last hour. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I've I've used this probably more in the last five years than I've ever used it. Um, no, maybe more like six years. Um, but uh, but it's always a standby. It's always a favorite. But it's the like take off and nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Um, and, you know, the site being everything from a specific place to, like, the world at large. Um, it has been a somewhat dispiriting, uh, you know, half decade of late. But, yeah, no, that one from Aliens always, always finds a way into uh, into into my dialogue slash every day. <laughs> I um uh I am a little more optimistic than that. Uh <laughs> my quote since 1999 has always been a Qui-Gon Jin quote which is your focus determines your reality. Mm-hmm. And I always took that to mean if if you uh believe it and you work hard enough you can you can do the thing. Um and it's served me well in my life. And uh, so that's the advice I always give everybody is your focus determines your reality. Not bad. Not and bad. Uh, last one, because I'm getting hollered at on my phone. Um, <laughs> uh, Where are you? You said this was going to be a short uh, one. Yeah. Uh, Geek Renderer. Uh Wondering what film you believe is the most perfectly made movie of all time. Hmm. Um, sadly, this answer will also be the same as my last answer, which is Aliens. Like, I think Aliens is perfect. I think Aliens achieves everything it sets out to achieve. I think the the character story is incredibly rich and dense and simple and emotionally resonant and understandable. I think the action is just phenomenally well executed. I think the the special effects remain fantastic. Like they really, really, really hold up. Even though, I mean, granted, there's like one rear projection shot that's a little bit dodgy. Um, But given that they made that movie for next to nothing, um, you know, $60 million, I think, was the budget in that movie, and and none of it feels shitty. It is the prototype, you know, for almost every, like, I mean, granted, the Dirty Dozen kind of did it before here. You know, it's a war movie. And so the war movie about the soldiers who show up thinking they know everything, who kind of begin to die one by one by one, leaving just like the lone survivor. I mean, you know, Predator would do it a couple of years later. Um but it's it's also a horror movie cliche of like Ripley is the final girl and like everybody else who thought they knew everything fell by the wayside, even like the ally that she trusted who knew his shit to 
the duplicitous, you know, business guy to the kind of braggart, you know, jocks, like all of it. But um, like, and yes, Jose Munster, there is a woman named Jeanette Goldstein who's playing Vasquez. Yes. But I do, I do grade on a temporal curve in that while that was never great, there is a long history of Hollywood of white people playing brown people. Um, and Hollywood was never incentivized for that not to happen as recently as like, I don't know, 2005, 2006, you know, when Angelina Jolie is playing like a Chilean woman. Like, yeah, all right, sure, I guess. Um, but no, I think I think Aliens is, I think it's, it's James Cameron's best movie. Um, I think it might be the best action movie ever made. Um, and I think, I think it is perfect. Um, as always, your mileage may vary, but, uh, but I've seen that movie like 70 times, um, conservatively speaking, and, uh, and have yet to find a bug that isn't also a feature. I, um, I have two, I have mm -hmm. the, the one that everybody always says, and then I have another one. The one that everybody always says is Die Hard. Uh, mm -hmm. There is not a wasted frame in Die Hard. Uh, there is nothing in that movie that doesn't uh, subtly set something up that pays off huge later. Um, but my other one is The Karate Kid. <laughs> if you go back and you watch Karate Kid, similarly to Die Hard... There is not a wasted scene in that movie. And the example I always give is um, the opening of that movie is very long. The opening title sequence. And it starts in New Jersey and you follow this shitty station wagon all the way to Reseda. And what you don't realize that you're looking at that entire time is uh, is uh the shitty bicycle strapped to the roof. And that shitty bicycle is a thing that, that defines he is all the cool kids have, um, uh, motorbikes. He has a pedal bike. The pedal bike is the thing that introduces him to Mr. Miyagi, who becomes his best friend, who, who also, uh, teaches him and helps him grow and is his avenue to his whole new new life uh that is how that movie starts and everything in that movie is intentional and purposeful in the same way die die hard is uh so karate kid i will say is my perfect movie go back and rewatch it you will be surprised at how fantastic it is i'll also say like honorable mention which is silly and it's cliche but we don't get them anymore is pretty woman go back and watch pretty woman <laughs> It is fucking phenomenal in the fact that it just does what it's trying to do expertly. And we don't get any good romantic comedies anymore that aren't just comedians uh, improvising for hours on set that gets cut down by an editor into something that resembles a movie. Go back and watch Pretty Woman. That movie's fantastic as well. Yeah. I mean, and I think that like, yes, there's a bias for like the 80s and 90s for us because that's when we grew up um 
And also they made a lot of different kinds of movies in the eighties and nineties that they would kind of stop making later on. Um, and so like, yeah, romantic comedies existed, you know, just straight up fucking theatrical comedies existed. Um, you know, like mob movies existed and cowboy movies existed, like all of these various genres you could go see in a theater that can't do that anymore. Um, but also I think that there was a rigor to movies in the, in the eighties and nineties. Like, I will I will stand by like midnight run as just and again we are not as Kevin likes to say shining a light to cast aspersions anything else like what do I think is the most perfect movie it is mine and it's aliens and I get it there are scores of other great movies out there you know that if a person was like you know what I think it's great fucking LA confidential I could not poke a hole in that movie either mm-hmm. um you know, I couldn't poke a hole in Raiders, you know, well, I haven't did, but still, I love it. Um, you know, I can't, I can't really poke a hole in like Beverly Hills Cop. I really can't poke a hole in um, When Harry Met Sally. I cannot poke a hole in fucking Ghostbusters. Like, all of those movies are great and phenomenal. And the ones that we love, like if you went back and watched like the movies that made us to see how fraught those movies were and how much trauma they went through to get to the place where we love them and how so easily it might have been a different movie a worse movie (laughs) you know that but for the grace of a handful of people who believed in it or a handful of people who hated it (laughs) in the process and like nudged it and and, or hey the casting for this was almost incredibly different but we just lucked into you know, Will Ferrell, nobody wanted Will Ferrell for like Elf, you know, they wanted Eddie Murphy to be in Ghostbusters and not Ernie Hudson, like Beverly Hills Cop was supposed to be a Stallone movie, like all of these things were like this close to being something different. Um, yeah, Back Cameron to the Future was yeah. a Stoltz movie. Totally, like Cameron almost got fired from Aliens like four different times because it was almost a crew revolt because they hated him. Like all of these things are almost on the verge of never existing, but they do. And, you know, we sort of love it for that. Um, but yeah, that was just my favorite. That's the one that comes to mind. That's one that always comes to mind. But yeah, Hollywood is littered with almost failures that turned out to be classics. Um, you know, and similarly, like Pretty Woman, like if you read the 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 versions of Pretty Woman that almost were, mm-hmm. the like super grim and gritty, like prostitution drama that it almost was, mm-hmm. um, that the first script is written as, that you know the right people came involved and changed it into the thing that we kind of know and love but damn yeah. but good choices everybody all right good choice. that's it i have to go get my crying daughter out of the bathroom all right you get your crying daughter out of the bathroom um that has been black man beyond this week i don't know when we're coming back it might be when jc comes back from the the star wars hotel it might be sooner we might get kevin um we may not it might not who knows but hey until then Until then, um, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out on a Saturday night slash evening slash I don't know where you are. So whatever time it is there, mazel tov. Um, Happy high holidays. Uh, Everybody be good. And uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, So yeah, for Black Man Beyond this week, I'm Mark Bernard. And that's JC Reifenberg. Um, Tune in next time. Same Black time, same Black channel. uh, Smodcast.com or YouTube.com slash Kevin Smith. Peace, love, and soul, y'all. Till next time.
This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip only at smodcast.com. <laughs>